Let's do this, bitch. Okay. Jugaset Podcast, episode four. Wow, we're on episode four already. Episode four. Jesus. Okay, well, let's tell them what we're talking about today, Charles. Well, we're talking about a couple of, of, of interesting things today, but we wanted to start off by talking about a tragedy that has happened. <laughs> it is a tragedy. It Don't is. Laugh. I'm, <laughs> I laugh at tragedy. That's we're what talking. I do. We're talking about a very unfortunate tragedy that happened on Nickelodeon um, <laughs> almost 20 years ago. Uh, you're not good at math, but probably. Pro- like it was 20-ish. In, it, was, it was in 1999, the year 2000. Okay. Wait, so it's 20. 20. Oh, yeah, yeah so 20. it would be Good 20. Good math, babe. See? Congrats. I could do it. I nice. did it. I could nice. do it. Nice. You did math in your head for the first time ever correctly. That's right. So 20 <laughs> years ago, there was, an, there was a, a very unfortunate thing that happened on Nickelodeon, specifically on Nick at Night, but the Nickelodeon Network. Oh, was it for Nick at Night? Yeah, it was for Nick at Night. Huh. And that tragedy was the rejection of the pilot script for the Pataki show. Would it be called the Patakis? Just the, the title? Well, I, the- I mean, I call it the Pataki, but depending on how you look it up online, it's either the Patakis or the Pataki show. Why don't you tell the people what, what we're talking about? Okay, so those who have seen Hey Arnold may know what we're talking about, and those who have not, which I don't know who the fuck that would be, I would I be personally offended millenni- by their presence. I don't know what millennial <laughs> hasn't seen Hey Arnold. I don't think I could be friends with them. But, okay, so if you haven't seen Hey Arnold or if it's been a while, uh, there was a character on there named Helga Pataki who was an antagonist slash protagonist. She was neither good nor evil. She was sort of neutral. And she bullied Arnold because she was deeply in love with him. And because of her psychological state of her and her severe, um, her, yeah, her her, her sad, emotional her, and psychological states were so tarnished and tumultuous. Yeah, and just it was tempestuous. That she was, she was a very tempestuous person. On tempestuous. The yes. We hitting them with a lot of college words right now. Well, obviously because of tempestuous, the root word is tempest, which is a storm, which means a perfect storm inside. A tempestuous person would be like a storm inside. The more you know. Because knowledge is power. The more you know and the less you care. And anyway, (laughs) so they were going to do a show about Helga Pataki's life because in her home life, many probably didn't even notice this, but if you were a kid that was either neglected or abused or possibly had a darker home life than your average child, you were probably more open and aware to this, which is, I think, what Craig Bartlett's intention was when he wrote this show was to have it out like a character for kids who didn't really have the most perfect home life but on the outside it looked okay but at the same time you know it, it was a kid's show for Nickelodeon so he couldn't be overly obvious about it so he gave little hints without explaining certain things so let's break it down with Helga's family we have Big Bob Pataki which is Helga's father he is a businessman who runs a beeper emporium which yes, it's called Big Bob's Beeper which is an independently owned store but he makes surprisingly good money he makes a weirdly large amount of money especially a questionable a questionably large amount of money especially toward the end when his beeper emporium because you know beepers went out in the late 90s toward the end he went from beepers to cell phones there's even an episode Mm -hmm. dedicated to um they they were gonna the characters were gonna be in a parade and they were gonna have a parade float but they needed sponsors to build the float and what ended up happening is that big bob pataki sponsored the float and one of his business partners who looked like he was at least did five or six years. Probably definitely 
maybe definitely had cocaine on his person at that time. Definitely probably a criminal, but basically... Definitely probably armed with a gun. Basically, <laughs> this dude was just like, we got to get rid of all of this and fill the whole thing with cell phone. They turned it into a cell phone float, and it was still... They still called it Big Bob's Beepers, because that's how it started, but he started selling And also, alliteration phones. is lovely to the ears. Right. Because Big Bob's cell phones don't sell that. <laughs> it don't sound uh, right. Like, adorable. Best Buy sounds good. You know, you but Radio Shack don't sound as good. Well, anyway, so you have her father, who is a large, angry, loud, cranky businessman who makes a surprising lot of money and has the personality of a criminal and an ego the size of Texas. Yep. So then we bring us to her more submissive, passive, and definitely clinically depressed mother, Miriam Pataki. Yes, Miriam. Tell, now, I, told, I, sp- I spoke about Bob. Now, you talk about Miriam. Miriam Pataki, on the show, it is not obvious to a nine-year-old, which a lot of us were in that age group. Yeah, roughly. But Miriam Pataki was a... A, a completely dysfunctional alcoholic. And yeah. I say completely dysfunctional because if you've seen examples of alcoholics in real life... There's so many types. There are many kinds, but Miriam was actually one of the... Wor- okay, well, for example, during the series, you would you would frequently spot Miriam like passed out behind a couch, sleeping in the kitchen with a hot cup of coffee in her hand. Precarious situation she was sleeping in. You know, and she, she spoke with a slur... Well, not a slur, but a depressive no, it, it, tone. It was like very like, uh, I can't right now. Oh God, I'm so depressed. Yeah, she spoke. She like she spoke was half like asleep the, all the time. Yeah, like with this drunken voice fry on the end of everything she said because she was kind of in and out of a drunken stupor all the time. And possibly on things like antidepressants. Like she probably was also doing pills as well, but it was definitely I wouldn't put alcohol. It past her. I no, wouldn't put it past because her. the thing is she was the thing is I have met many alcoholics in my life that literally held jobs, had families. They didn't even like nobody even fucking knew. Yeah. Like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis for example came out about her pill addiction in 2000 something. I forget exactly like early like in the early 2010s I think she spoke about this yeah and like nobody really knew she was didn't do it at work she did it at home and it's like I've seen people with addictions right that although it was unhealthy for their body it wasn't so much messing with their lives yeah they were in functional. fact like they were more relaxed so they were co- more charismatic and able to thrive and I'm like they, they found a way to make it work for them which I'm not encouraging alcoholism or drug addiction obviously that's it's sad and horrible but like it's possible you can do that it's just it's a special kind of person. It's funny. You mentioned that, and, you know, I, I mentioned Radio Shack a second ago. Back when I worked at Radio Shack, oh one of my customers, she actually was a lawyer who was also a functional alcoholic. It was weird. One day I actually had to sell her a cell phone, and she she was so overwhelmed by all the information we had to sign her up for for this contract phone that she went out to the liquor store that happened to be next to my <laughs> Radio Shack. She bought a bottle, oh a bottle of Kahlua and came back to the store. Not a nip, not a small bottle, like a full... A full bottle of Kahlua came back to the store and was just drinking the Kahlua with some through a, uh, some plastic cups that she asked the liquor store for right in the middle of the radio shack while she was signing up for this new phone that I, that I was helping her with. God, she was hilarious. Not you gonna know, lie. But that's definitely not a Not gonna lie, that's a mood. I mean, like, yeah. not every day. I don't even drink all that much. But, like, so, yeah... There are functional alcoholics, functional addicts, and it's surprising. They And usually it's really funny. I have met a lot of them that were just very charismatic and funny and kind of flaky. The worst thing that happened to these particular people was they forgot stuff sometimes. Yeah. And they were a little moody sometimes, but yeah. that was roughly it. And I can handle moody. I can handle forgetful. I'm moody and forgetful. Like, I totally get it. But, but Miriam? like, Miriam Pataki. So let's, let me give them an example real quick. The yeah. road trip. 
Oh, that's, that's a great the most episode. Prom- like, there are a lot of examples of Miriam's alcoholism. Yeah. But I think the most prominent message of her alcoholism was the episode where Helga and her went on a road trip to South Dakota by themselves. Yeah. Um, they stopped at a motel and a restaurant. Miriam, at, at this point, had already just been, like, a complete fucking mess already. But she was trying to make the most of it. And I think she was also trying to stay sober. Trying. Trying. It wasn't. Wasn't working out. Wasn't, I think while she was driving, at least, but it wasn't working out. No, it would, it, the amount of potential car accidents that they got into that, like, they almost died. No, it wasn't died. potential. They got into car accidents. That's what I'm saying. They no, Well, yeah, they got into one, but they could have gotten into, like, four or five more. But, yeah, they because of Helga, they avoided, like, three, and yeah. one that could have killed them. Right. So... They, she put the purse on the roof of her car and then, like, drove off. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't take an alcoholic to do that. I've seen tired moms do it. I mean, for fuck's sake, if you see a mom with a to- toddler, you would think they were drunk because sure. those poor women are just all over the fucking place because they're so tired. Right. But this wasn't the case with Miriam. Like, it's not a mom that's super busy. She wasn't on the phone doing business. She wasn't just having one of those lapse of judgment moments. Because this happens so frequently... When she lost the purse, even Helga pointed out, Miriam, did you lose your purse again? Yeah. Now... We talked about how, like, she lost the purse and stuff like that. Now, talk about when Miriam's sober. Yeah. Because you see that's, a few that's moments crazy. of that. There was, an episode, there was an episode where Big Bob, like, I think he hurt his back or something on yeah, the Yeah, his job. back went out. And Miriam ended up taking his place running the Beeper Emporium. She went from being a drunken mess to a sober, obsessive monster. Yeah, and I think the reason she was so monstrous about it was because she hadn't found her balance yet. See... In the idea for the TV show, the Patakis, they mentioned that they were going to have Miriam 12-stepping. Yeah. And, and that she was going to work and for she a was TV working. station. Now, when she was running Big Bob's Beepers, she was a bitch, absolutely, because probably that could have been withdrawal symptoms. That could have been her getting used to being sober. You know, you, you know what I think it is, honestly? Well, if you look at, if first of all, if you look at Helga, Helga is an extremely obsessive personality with lots lots of inborn emotional and very creative issues with no outlets for that besides poetry yes now and also her sister olga is very creative but you know she's she's and even bob who was an asshole he has creative ideas like i mean you have to be very creative to run a beeper everyone in the pataki's family is very creative and intelligent yeah these are people of very these are intelligent people but in the case of helga helga had a very obsessive personality now when you know if you know something about people who have addictions you're really personality yeah you'll realize that part of the reason that why they have addictions is because they have obsessive personalities this is the reason why you could take someone who was addicted to let's say heroin they could go to cold turkey but if they find a way to replace that action with a diff- different action like doing yoga they'll yeah or meditating or, or meditating they'll be just as addicted to the yoga as they would to the heroin but because one is you know functionally a lot less healthy than the other one people won't do anything about it but essentially that's what's happening because it's less about the substance and more about the serotonin rush you get from the alleged thing you're addicted to it's because it's a serotonin deficiency now the reason i bring that up is because when you bring it back to Miriam at the beeper emporium she got super obsessive with the beeper emporium to a to a point where she basically found a whole new way to neglect helga it became from alcoholic to workaholic that was was she was still a holic exactly she just switched her addiction from one thing to the other because that's the whole point she has this deeply obsessive Personality. She had an emptiness she needed to fill with something right. that she had to obsess over to feel complete. Right, and I believe Helga's issues with moderation come from Miriam. Of course. Um. Then, then you get to Olga, who is. It's crazy because I have known people like Olga Pataki, 
and the Olga Pataki is the like the fucking Webster's dictionary definition of a gifted child. Yeah, she is a child that is told from basically birth to college. Yeah, you're perfect. You're wonderful. You're everything to this family. You're so talented. You're probably going to be the most the kids that are most likely to succeed voted yeah. are usually the likely to fail because they have been had their ass kicks kissed so yeah. long. They were told they were perfect and special, so they didn't have to try that hard. No, no. So when they leave into the real world, they have to try yeah. extra hard, and they don't know how. Right. Now, don't get it twisted. Olga's not a jerk about it. The thing is, from she's her, annoying about she's it. She's annoying. I kind of don't like her she, because she's, she's annoying. She's annoying, but her personality, like she, her perspective of the whole situation, because what the situation is, is that uh, Olga's the oldest, and she basically... When Big Bob had his first kid, that being Olga, he saw her as like a conquest, an achievement, the way he saw his beeper important. And they were a good bit apart because when Helga was like in preschool in that really tragically sad episode. Yeah, Olga was like a teenager. She was like 15. Yeah. So that means there's, prob- there's a big distance. Yeah, which is, it was like, which also probably implies that Helga was an accident. Could be. Which is also probably where her family's resentment and cruelty to her that, and yeah. negligence comes from. Could be. They had the perfect... Because think about it. Let me... We're humans. We have a huge ego. Yeah. If we have the perfect golden child, which you and I, thankfully, are not a couple that thinks that exists. Cause, no, that, no. Yeah, that's an illusion. Every kid is special in their own way, and they we have to find a way that makes them individually thrive. Right. No one's perfect. Right. But they had this allegedly perfect little blonde-haired, blue-eyed, sweet, intelligent, gifted, soft-spoken perfect angel baby what human technically feels like they need more than that also they ran a business why would they want two kids and she's a functional a dysfunctional alcoholic i mean when you, when you think about big bob Pataki's ego you got to remember that big bob is the kind of dude who would have subscribed to the whole idea of the perfect nuclear american family paradigm the 2.5 kids is that what you're yeah, yeah like the like the 2.5 or the one kid that you have like that kind of american dream kind of you know also they promise could... to white dudes type of thing that they did in the 1930s and yeah. 40s big bob is the modern equivalent of that like he runs his own business he has yeah. a, he has a a a, a wife who was probably hot at one point before the alcoholism got to her. Yeah. Um, then he had his his little girl who is an achiever. Now, in the case of Olga, she realizes that she has to constantly perform just to keep her She's family. She's a performing monkey for her whole fucking family. It's really, to, like, right. honestly, I'd rather be Helga than Olga. For real. For real. That's because, so much pressure. That's at the for very a kid. Least, Helga lives inside of her own defined authenticity. Sure, she's neglected, but the thing is, as an adult, she's going to be the kind of person who can define her own life, whereas Olga is the opposite. She can't define her own life without the approval of someone else or her family. So when she has real problems or even problems that aren't that deep, she breaks down. There's so many episodes. Like where, the episode about her grades, where Helga changed her grade to a B plus and she almost killed herself. Like yeah, it was, Olga, Olga got oh so God. depressed. Off of one grade being changed to Slightly. a B, to a B plus, that chick almost killed herself. Whereas Helga, and and what's crazy is that that's another Miriam. That that's more Miriam and Olga because oh, it's like well, El, El, Olga's future is going to be really sad because no, it is. what's going to happen? Is she's going to she's going to marry a guy mm-hmm. or get pregnant with a guy who has a good job. That dude's going to dip on her, leave her abandoned, drunk and alone, developing the same fucking addiction problems her mom 
had, except so much worse because she's going to be by her fucking self. It, you know, I she's think going to be a CPS mom, dude. I think it's going to be even deeper than that. I don't worse. think the dude is. Yeah, I think it's going to be worse. I don't think the dude is going to leave her. I think she's going to find a good guy that deserves her time, who's who's an achiever just like her. And and what's going to happen is he's going to start achieving, and then she's probably probably going to feel like she doesn't have to work as hard to achieve, and she's going to have the, an existential crisis because there's no show anymore. This is the reason why. In, in going back to the Patakis, in the Patakis, one of the plans of the show was that Olga, after finishing Bennett, Benning, what is it, Bennington, Bennington College, yes. Bennington College, she goes, she moves back home and she tries to become an actress. Th- that's the whole point. She Olga's, doesn't know what she wants to be because she doesn't have an identity no, 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 besides it's, her no, it's parents. No, not, it's not even that. Olga's nope. whole life is a show. She she yeah. decides to become an actress because it's directly tied to what she feels like she needs to do but existentially. Also, but she also did that because she didn't have a path because she was studying something entirely different. Yeah. Like, those kids are usually pathless. She wasn't pathless. studying acting. Yeah, she wasn't studying those acting. Those kids are usually pathless because they, they, ha- they had so much potential they could do anything so they don't know what the fuck they want to do because they're so used to performing for the people making them perform. Right. Which, bring, also, there's yep. Good possibility they tried for Helga because they thought they would have a boy because Big Bob's big ass ego would need a son to carry the fucking legacy. Right, right. He's a Henry VIII type of bastard galore. Which would explain why Helga is kind of masculine as it is. Well, the thing is, um, when I was raised yep. by my mom, I I had a dad that was just your normal country man's man. I had a, bo- a brother that was just all boy for yep. the most part. I mean, my brother likes theater and he likes. Yeah, he's girly nuanced. stuff. He's yeah. kind of like he's like he's not girly stuff, but he likes things that are more effeminate. But he's not like only one way. He's very yeah, he's, neutral. Yeah, he's layered. He doesn't. He's not like you know, we know we were kids, a walking nineteen nineties toy. But he was commercial. just like a general, general like little boy when we were growing up. There wasn't anything yeah. like super out of there. And then my mom was super masculine. Yeah. My mom carried herself with a very male energy. Right, right, right. She had a very she she had um what Carl Jung would refer to as a strong anima. Yes, I I believe that's sort of how it is. Like I think everyone's sort of nuanced, and if you're these if you're the type of person who just doesn't have a, a gender identity and choose not to have that, you just kind of are a nice blend of everything so much that you just want to just be in a nice centered place yeah that's cool yeah there's nothing wrong with that like no everybody has their own like balance and identity in this which i think is really cool but my mom um was identified female right but she dressed very masculinely carried herself very masculinely she carried herself like she had a big dick my mom had bde (laughs) and because of that i was a tomboy growing up too my my mom was a tomboy growing up and i like i was a nice balance but i also like you know really you know tomboy things i like skateboarding and i liked lizards and i liked mud and i liked um i didn't really like sports but i liked getting dirty and i liked going outside and i liked Mm -hmm. doing like um masculine energy things sure because of that's how i was raised and i think helga there was a whole episode about her trying to get in touch with her femininity and just like realizing it wasn't for her i think helga would be one of those people that she would just figure all of that out when she got a little older where she felt on that but being a tomboy right now and being in more male energy is just working for where she's at in her life right now well and if it stays that way great if not well that that's what makes the tragedy that i refer to as the patakis being rejected not by so many layers to this not by one but two different networks that's why i think it's so sad because helga was probably the best character on the show of Hey Arnold. Definitely was, my favorite. She was my favorite character. I mean, Arnold was cool, but the thing is, he was surrounded by far more interesting people, which tends to happen with really good shows. The side characters are often more interesting. And, like, like for example, I'm, I'm uh, watching Better Call Saul. 
Saul Goodman is way more interesting a character than than uh, Walter White. Really, and Walter was pretty good. But the thing is, when Breaking Bad, all the side characters are more interesting than Walter. Walter was interesting. That's how, usually how it is. I never like in the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Sabrina gets on my damn nerves. I like her, but like I like. Yeah. Her aunts and all the older women in the show better and the more mature actors like and, Richard O'Coyle and things like that. And from time to time that'll happen. I mean, that's the very reason we get stuff like fan fictions. But the point I was making is, well, that's is why that, we need it. That's, yeah. <laughs> the point I was making is that Craig Bartlett, the creator of Hey Arnold, actually wrote a pilot and presented it and pitched it to Nickelodeon in the year 2000 for a Nick at Night TV show called the Patakis. And the Patakis would have centered around Helga as a main character at 15 years old and her family, Big Bob, Miriam, and Olga. And Olga would have moved back in at that point to become a Broadway actress, as we previously mentioned. Big Bob's Emporium would have expanded to cell phones. And also, as previously mentioned, um, Miriam would be in the 12-step program. She's clean now. She, she would be, on the, at the very least, working on being totally clean of alcoholism and she works for a TV station, which we have some theories on why that is that we'll get to in a second. But um, it, it, it's, it's really messed up because Helga is a character that has so much to teach millennials at that age. She has so much more to offer. She's just a very dense, well-written character. She, she just is. Well, and to be perfectly frank, and it's just the God's honest truth, there's a lot of millennials out there that had negligent or abusive parents. Yeah, it's there's really a, common. There's a fuck ton of us. Like... Um, it's weirdly, you know, common. I had a, an abusive mom, you know, everybody has a lot. Like, I think a majority of millennials that I have met had some sort of fucked up relationship with at least one parent. Yeah. And I felt like it's interesting because a lot of us didn't even know it when we were young. But I felt like if we had, you know, when we get to see someone like Helga go through what she experienced. Yeah. It's sort of like, oh, that's not right. Yeah. And when you see it happening to someone else, it kind of gives you a wake-up call inside that that doesn't feel good. And the representation is important. And Helga is a very relatable character, at least to me. Like, I think she's a great character. Now, real, real quick, because there's a, there's a deeper point to this that we want to get to, but I just wanted to list a, a little bit of some of these facts that I came up with about this this pilot, this potential series. Yeah, the research, what we found. So, basically what I found, and this is based on an article I found on fandom.com, um, it, it as previously mentioned, it was a planned spinoff sequel series. It focused on the life of Helga Pataki and her family as Helga is a, t- a teenager. She would have been around 15. Craig Barlett wrote the pilot script with, with a guy named Mitchell um, Lamoureux. I think. Wait, wait, that's Michelle. Michelle? Oh, Michelle. Sorry, I Michelle, said Mitchell. Michelle Lamoureux. You're not good with names. It's fine. Yeah, it's Lamoureux. fine. Michelle Lamoureux for Nickelodeon in the year 2000. Nickelodeon rejected it for being too dark, even for Nick and Knight. Bartlett initially pitched its two show on Nick and Knight, and there was no Adult Swim at the time. I think that came on a year later. Oh, really? But that would have kind of beat uh, if 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 the Patakis came out, then Nickelodeon would have beaten um, Cartoon Network to Adult Swim before Adult Swim even happened. Which, again, the part of the reason why I think is a travesty. Now, what ends up what ended up happening is he also pitched it to MTV. The reason they rejected it is because it was too similar to a show called Daria, another show that we love. Um, it's a classic, really. Classic cartoon. Definitely check that one out. I think it's on Hulu. Yeah. It? Yeah. Um, but Daria was airing at the time, and it was too similar. They were going to structure each episode to run like The Simpsons. So in Hey Arnold, you get two episodes over the course of a half hour. In the Patakis, it would have been one story 
um, over the cor- over the course of a half hour, and like The Simpsons, it would have had three acts. Well, because adults have a better attention span, it would be like adult adult millennials watching this most likely. So. Exactly. Now, each character from Hey Arnold would have been in it, but Arnold himself would have not been in it because he would have moved away. Which this, I would have been fine with. Yeah, I would. Yeah, that's that's fine. Craig Barlett thought he had to do that. I I personally don't think he did, but you know he he felt like he needed to get Arnold to move away so Helga could have the proper spotlight. That makes um, sense. Uh, so now as for the Arnold and Helga relationship, Helga would still be in love with Arnold, but, and they would have been a couple for a little bit, but, um, they would have fell on stormy times and they would have broken up before Arnold inevitably moved. Now, Helga would ended up, would have ended up writing letters to Arnold every night, but, and she would try to mail them, but you know, in the normal Helga fashion, she would have taken them out of the mailbox and then collected them in a binder and kept them all in an organized binder, and that binder would have ended up replacing those creepy ass shrines that she would keep in her closet of Arnold. And um, in that she, locket, I yeah, they didn't mention a locket. She probably still has a locket, but the point is, she wouldn't have the shrines anymore. She would have this binder with these letters, and also they were going to use some of these letters as framing devices for a few of the episodes. Um, I personally wouldn't have liked it if they did that for every episode because that would have been like boring. a couple would be fine. That sounds like fun yeah, like for here, like, here like a dark there. one, like a really dark particular subject. Would or be if fun. they if they turn the letters into like a series long plot uh, plot, plot point, device, like yeah. a plot device, kind of like how you know the elements of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, right. They, they, this could have been that equivalent, exactly. but anyway. Um, Helga would have been a budding writer, which, you know, she already was. She would have been an awkward teenager who still wore her her pink bow, her pigtail, and she kept a unibrow. She hides the pink bow underneath the hat that she would start wearing, though. And then um, as for the rest of the family, we already mentioned Olga's an off, 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 off Broadway actor. (laughs) Miriam's in the 12-step program. Big Bob is running the Beeper Emporium. But here's the thing about that. This was really fascinating. Big Bob would have started running the Emporium, according to this, kind of like Tony Soprano. Which shouldn't surprise anybody because, like we mentioned earlier, Big Bob made particularly good money. and A suspiciously large amount of money for the business he's running. If you're like Charles and I... um, even since we were kids, we were extremely suspicious of like weird stuff like that. Yeah. Like we wouldn't say anything, but we'd be like, or we wouldn't even like dwell on it. But we would well, think the about time, it. Like it would be like yeah, that was time, weird. We were too young. We were too young to have the information to know. Then there more clues would come out. Right, but time. but as adults, Lindsay and I actually believed that Big Bob was laundering money through his his beeper emporium. You know, we talked about this before we read our research about the Patakis. That I thought Big Bob was already into some criminal mafia like activity. He just acts like that. He yeah. has like this personality of a dude who definitely maybe probably sort of maybe is doing criminal activity yeah he definitely was into some shady stuff to run his business i was suspicious from his a kid like i you know like you're just like what the fuck is wrong with this guy so basically the reason i think money laundering is yeah. because actually i've been watching that show good girls and i learned how money laundering works another show you can see on on hulu yeah, it's. I We're think, giving these shows a lot of shout outs. It's I want a good ass show. We need it's, to be sponsored. It's a good ass show. But anyway, so I learned <laughs> a ton about money laundering from that. And then I, you know, was like, okay, that's interesting. So Big Bob, I don't think was selling drugs because he was kind of like a white collar criminal type of guy. He didn't yeah. seem like if he was dealing anything, it was cocaine. It would yeah. definitely be high, like. But even like, then, that's entirely too. Because the, the way that he was running messy. his business, it was that would have been too messy, and he wouldn't have been able to focus and on the beepers le- as he much. He went out of town a lot for business, but he didn't come back with like big sketchy suitcases. He no. came back with like one suitcase. Yeah, he and came he, back with the same suitcase the same he left with, and, and he's not like the Gus Fring of Hey Arnold. He's not that smart. No, he just isn't. He, he he's too like big the kind and of guy that would Bring bring one suitcase just yeah. for money. He did, he wouldn't want to travel low key. 
if he wasn't hiding something. And on top of that, he always wore a, a hat and a coat even when it wasn't raining. Right. But he definitely was was laundering money. In, they, they, in, just... the, in the road trip episode for South Dakota, yeah. the day they were leaving to go to South Dakota, suddenly some business came up that he had to leave immediately and go to the airport and go to Borneo or some shit. I don't even fucking know, but it was somewhere. Yeah, he had to leave the entire country. Was If I'm not mistaken, it was a country. like Which is crazy because it's like, what? He definitely of... had to at least leave the state. Yeah. And he also, because they were supposed to drive to South Dakota, he didn't even offer them a, a trip to the airport and say, hey, go take a plane instead of driving. He didn't want them with him at all. Plus, then you got suspicious purchases like that that RV, that hyper high-tech RV he bought for their camping and also, trip. A white-collar criminal seems like the kind of guy that would just spur the moment buy a parrot for no fucking reason for his business. Yeah, like which he did do. But here, here's the thing. So I, I don't think he was dealing drugs. I think he was on cocaine and laundering money. Oh, That's he was definitely I, doing coke. Oh, yeah, he was, he, was, he, at, he was aggressive and loud and bombastic. Yeah. He was and, energetic and a little violent, just like cokeheads. Like that, that's, he was definitely doing cocaine. And he was probably functionally doing it. And he was too coked up to notice that his wife was a dysfunctional alcoholic. Or he to care. He was just so ramped up because it was always like beepers, 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 beepers. Yeah. And it's like with him, it's like he would like be like, I have to leave suddenly. Come back with the same suitcase, just not say anything. It's like, were you out getting like money to wash? So what I think was happening is... My theory is I think Big Bob was leaving the country, leaving the state or whatever, getting yeah. his his um, counterfeit money. Right. Going back to Big Bob's and like, I don't know exactly the details here to make this work, but he was somehow trading customers or trading people with the unwashed money for clean money. Yeah. And it, it was through the transactions of the Beeper Emporium. I don't know how he was doing it, but he was somehow like increasing his money in value. And when you think about and, it, it makes a lot of sense because even if the money, like for example, in again in Breaking Bad, they all of the criminals in that in in that show had the same problem. They could not spend their money right away without laundering it. This is the reason why you had Gus Fring's, you know, um, Los Pollos Hermanos. Um, restaurant. Yeah, that was fr- that was a cover for meth and money laundering, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. He had to mo- he had to launder the money that he was doing. And the meth he, lab he was, was in ma- the basement. Yes, exactly. Um, now the thing is, money laundering is his own criminal enterprise business. And when you when when you understand how criminals afford to spend their money, if you're not money laundering, then you can't spend money as cleanly and openly right away unless it's laundered first. But in the right. case of Bob, if he was laundering money, of course he would be he, he would launder the money that he earned from the money laundering, so he can make big purchases like that, and nobody would see, be the yeah, wiser that, that, because that he had RV, big Bob beefers. The fridge pack thing he had, the RV, the fridge pack, the impulse the buys parrot. that he did. First of all, let let let's do let's do the really obvious thing. The house that they lived in was the was. Bigger, bigger than not by much, but bigger than Arnold's house. And Arnold's and house a was a boarding, boarding house. house. Now keep in mind, I yeah. I did not live in New York in the nineties, and Harold's roughly based around New York. It's like that's where it's supposed to take place, and yeah. it's just various sections. It's of like it all a fictionalized together. New York. It's like as if New York is like basically one borough, and all the boroughs fused together in one place. That right. seems what it's like. Right, right, right. But um. He lived on what would be like the equivalent so of the Harlem So I don't know what it was like to live in New York in the 90s as far as what the, because it was pre 9-11. I yeah. don't know what the real estate was like. I don't know what business economy stuff was like because also I was a child and I didn't live here. Yeah. So could you tell me about that? Would that have made sense if he wasn't laundering money? Well, admittedly, yeah. Well, here's the thing. If we're thinking about the kind of residential neighborhoods that Arnold and Helga and the rest of the PS13 kids 
PS one eighteen. Sorry, PS. I said thirteen. PS one eighteen. Kids were all living in like a Queensy type of neighborhood. It was like a Queensy Harlemish kind of neighborhoods. Yeah, it looked like both. Like even their residential areas that that are in Brooklyn that look like that right now. But he was definitely living in a residential neighborhood in New York that had lots of brownstones. Brownstones are very expensive. Also, they were pretty close to Rhonda, whose parents were were rich. Also, I think crazy activity. But I think they were more like. Jackie's parents from that 70s show the doing more like other white collar crime yeah like fraud yeah also Embe- embezzlement I think it was embezzlement also was by the way Phoebe was just as rich as Rhonda her family was just low but key I think they were it. also making their money honestly and that's why they weren't assholes but that but that's a good point now here's the thing when you when you live in New York especially um in the early 2000s and late 90s pre 9-11 pre 9-11 and even post 9-11 you were running a situation of gentrification where one one neighborhood which it would be poverty on one block and then rich people living on another block and there's neighborhoods like that to this day all over the city in the case of Hey Arnold and Big Bob's Beeper's existence, that would make a lot of sense. That yeah. he would own a very expensive-looking house in a residential neighborhood, keeping himself low-key. Like he he owns the building, or at the very least, he can afford to live in the building by himself. A multi-floor building in New York City, in in a residential neighborhood, while he's laundering money. I mean, even at the very least, it was an expensive. It, it cost a lot of money to upkeep that place. Yeah. It would cost even more money to make the purchases that he made. So, again, laundering money. And, and I, I get it was beepers. I do get that. But and then cell phones. But. Yeah, beepers and then cell phones and maybe other electronics. But I don't know. It's just his personality and the things he did. It just read very suspicious. Plus, like plus was, you, you have to yeah. account for the fact that Big, Bo- Big Boss Beepers was not a franchise. It was mm-hmm. one independent. At first, store. it wasn't. At first, it was not. It was not. It was just one building. It was one independent store. It was an emporium that looked kind of like if you ever been to B and H photo on Thirty Fourth Street. It was the equivalent of that, but cut that in half and have less resources. That was Big Boss Beepers. Also, keep in mind this was pre online ordering, so he could only sell to people in that fucking neighborhood. How many yeah. people? How and only people. Even if you have a family of four, yeah, that's only four fucking beepers. Yeah, it just doesn't. It just doesn't make you any make sense. You make decent money, but you wouldn't. Yeah, no, it, you it, wouldn't be that good. It just doesn't make any, any and sense. And also, Miriam didn't work, and she didn't have to. No, she didn't work. And, oh, and that's another thing. They were paying. They they were paying for Olga's college in full. Yeah, they didn't even have student loans no. or financial aid. No. And, and like, she went to private schools. And then Helga went to that, even though the school recommended, Helga went to that really good therapist, Dr. Bliss. And you know that wasn't a cheap uh, well, it would, it, well, theoretically, because remember, Helga went to PS118, which is a public school. It is right. possible, especially when you're thinking about the surplus era of 1990s economy, it's possible that Dr. Bliss was a um, state-assigned child therapist that was True. working for the school like and maybe for- yeah she would she could have been either working pro bono or at the very least the school was paying for the sessions so that big bob didn't have to spend money on it but at the same time if they if they weren't paying for the sessions that's still another expense that big bob he didn't even feel that at yeah. all but you know but we could go on and on all day about does, how suspicious but also big I mean, bob d- is. doesn't helga also show signs of greed sometimes 
Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so Helga she, Pataki is the kind of person where if she can make a buck off of anything, she what? Matter of fact, the episode where she bought that love potion and she found out that the love potion didn't work. <laughs> I feel the like first that. thing she said when she found out it didn't work wasn't "You mean it didn't work? It didn't happen." The first thing she said was, "I paid you ten bucks for a great Great. drink are you serious i want my money back no she she proceeded to go give me my money back and then she proceeds to realize wait a minute it wasn't a spell at all forgets about her ass her fucking money altogether and dips like dude i mean don't get me wrong i I relate a little i mean i feel i feel like i'd be like because i would be pissed because i mean i'm a practicing pagan i would be especially pissed i'd be like bitch what the yeah, no, I, I get it. I totally get it. But, it it's just. It's but also, just, I'm not going to diss um, Madame Blanche's hustle right. either. Fuck. But, but at the same time, <laughs> the girl is nine years old. The fact that that's the first place her mind went. You know how many New York nine year olds I knew who had like that deep financial concern knowledge? Well, that sh- None. That shows I don't know how any. how greedy her father is. I mean, yeah. but I get it. Like, I mean, I understand like money is great and I love money, but like, damn, girl. Now, Fuck. now, really quick, because we're, we're at the halfway, halfway mark, I wanted to talk about uh, an interesting conversation that Lindsay and I had yesterday. Oh, God. But yeah. before I do, I need to preface it. Ever since I met Lindsay, I have compared her to Helga Pataki in a lot of ways because I just see that there are a lot of parallels to Lindsay, Lindsay's life and Helga's life and her family well, life. Well, tell them the parallels. Well, here, the parallels is Lindsay, Lind, first of all, Lindsay's a very nice person. She she just she has like her mind goes to angry places really easily, really easily. Mm-hmm. If she feels like she needs to defend herself, if, if I she, feel threatened, in if any she way. feels threatened, she goes to anger very easily. Even if I misread the situation, like yeah. I feel like someone's attacking me, I will just attack first, ask questions later. Yeah, yeah, she, I don't, she, I'm not proud of that, but it's the truth, and I'm she, not going to yeah. pretend I don't. She she can get defensive, and sometimes she, it's yeah. hilarious. I admit it. Like sometimes yeah. it's. I, I, I laugh at myself afterwards. And and speaking to somebody who's in a relationship with her, it doesn't breach on the abusive ever. It's just she she gets defensive sometimes. That's it. I get frightened. Like, if I feel, like, threatened at all, I'll yeah. be like, what does that mean? Yeah, it's like, no more, it's, I, and then if you explain yourself, I immediately don't. I'm no longer angry. I right. just need to feel safe. It's no more deeper than that. Then yeah. Lindsay, Lindsay it can become very, um, I mean, the, I wouldn't really call this a problem. It, at least it hasn't been a problem as long as I've known her, but she can be obsessive over projects or anything that she really wants to sink her teeth in. She can get very passionate and obsessive about it. <laughs> I Personally, have obsessive tendencies. I totally admit that. Right, but again, but the thing is, she has this under control way better than Helga does. Like, I don't have an addiction problem. I do have a dependency problem on certain projects, tasks, anything that increases my serotonin. Like, that's why I like roller coasters. Right. I can control it, but I definitely know if I let myself go, I definitely could get way out of control. Plus, there's, there's like, simpler parallels, like how Lindsay and Helga were both nine years old at the time. Helga would be (laughs) the exact same age Lindsay is now if Helga was around in real life right now. Um, You know, uh, Helga had, like, an, an interesting relationship with an older sibling. A very similar relationship because, like, I can totally say this that my brother and I, because, like, just full disclosure, my brother and I have a very lovely relationship now. Yeah. But as children, we had the golden child scapegoat relationship. My brother was very Olga ish. He's not a failure like Olga became. No, 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 try as hard to impress mom or school people like everybody just sort of thought he was the greatest thing ever from this the, is, and from this is not stories, dissing my brother this is just dissing the adults who from the stories did of, this from the stories I've heard you know the people people just thought 
that her brother Michael was going to be, you know, running running a Fortune 500 company, that he was going to be a CEO somewhere, things like that. And they told me you know, I would grow up to be a criminal and told me to shut up and stop crying. Right. Not to say that, <laughs> and, and, you know, in, in all due respect, not to say that the man can't still do those things. They just thought that's, that's just, what his, they, 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 you know, they just kept forcing that info on They him. put a lot of pressure on him to be successful and... I feel in a lot of ways my brother was abused by, and this wasn't my dad. This was my mom and other adults in his life. My dad didn't do this. My dad was just happy he had kids and he loved this and that we'll get into that in a second. But my brother and I, I felt like he was actually more abused than I was by that. Really? Yes. Okay. I can actually put my pride aside and say that my brother was more abused than I was. You th- okay. Well, let me explain, please explain why. Yeah. My brother was worshipped, coveted, and idolized and all of these things at such a young age that it it created a dependency on our mom. He couldn't see the truth of who she was. And he even can acknowledge that now. It's not shitting on him. This is just the complete truth. He couldn't see the horrible person my mom was because she had him brainwashed by that shit. Uh, she made him feel like he had to be so successful that when he finally had the opportunity to, it just sort of like made him want to just pursue simpler things at that point. Yeah. All my brother ever wanted to do was help people. In fact, he wanted to go into That's law enforcement. That's still where he's at. Yeah, and he, That's still all where he wants at. to do is law enforcement. And yeah. you know, I and it's it'll take little steps. He could definitely do it. But he's my brother is a very kind and decent person. But it created a tumultuous relationship between us that it caused us to hate each other. Mm-hmm. And where I was abused, I was physically, emotionally, and psychologically tortured by my mother. Mm-hmm. I had everything from like coffee tables thrown at me. Uh, my eardrum was busted for not folding jeans correctly one time when I was 15. Um, I was knocked unconscious for not cleaning my room. I was told I would become a criminal and probably be nothing in my life. And I was left alone for sometimes days Yeah. because my parents were in a business. Um, my mom would be gone from like 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. I would be in bed. I, I'd get dropped off at school right. or have to take the bus and you know after by my teens i was home for days at a time by myself and i was a latchkey kid from the age of actually nine years old helga's age is when i started being a latchkey kid the, the interesting thing about your mom um she's the big bob of the family yeah she's the big bob she would have been the I'm big pretty sure bob she character had some sort of criminal connections now like the, she, the, inter- <laughs> the interesting thing i think because you know your mom's female she 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 was female before before but she died. But I mentioned died. earlier she did have a lot of masculine energy to her person. She and Big Bob had the same haircut and color. Cause Big Bob <laughs> went great. Did. Like Big Bob he went did. right. Big Bob <laughs> went great at an early age. But actually, my dad looks more like Big Bob, but he's more like he's not well, a he drinker, does now. but he's more like Miriam. He's more the passive parent. He was yeah, the more yeah. He was a more passive, only, easygoing parent. The only difference was my dad never had an addiction problem. He was actually quite a functional parent, but my mom tried to paint him out like he he was incompetent and stupid. Plus, then you have other parallels like you know Big Bob ran businesses. Your mom ran businesses. B- Big Bob was very creative about what what he did and things. Same thing with your mom. They were also, sitting on a also lot of my, skills. My parents, my well, not my parents, my mom mixed up my name sometimes with my brothers there you go (laughs) then you got other parallels like both you and your brother have creative impulses and and have a knack for the perform for 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 performing you know your brother has he doesn't act regularly now but from what you've told me he's a very good actor when when he's doing that he did uh, he did theater in high school and i i mean i i I used to go to his plays when i was a kid because i was like acting and i couldn't wait to like get old enough to do that myself right and I would just look all like starry eyed. Even if he didn't have like the biggest role, I'd look at him starry eyed. I'd look at the other cast. Like these people were my heroes. It was always so special. Like 
I, that's a really you know I, I noticed that that's actually a really sweet thing that one of your inspirations <laughs> to actually become an actor could have actually been your brother oh god don't make me cry it could no, but but for it, it but it is dope because your brother he 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 was up there just doing his thing and you were his little sister in the audience just looking at your about brother nine years old, about yeah. nine years old looking at your brother just be great in the audience and and one of the thoughts you had is i want to be great just like that mm-hmm. one day mm-hmm. and, it, and it happened to be your brother and i never told him that because that was when we didn't like really like each other but it happened to be your brother that did that now that's one parallel that that helga didn't unfortunately have well, actually, she couldn't you, look you, up to olga the same way not exactly but there was that episode about the grade change that when he took out the toxicity of her pressure olga and her got along fine that's true that when when they when there was when Lila got in the way, they didn't get along. And yeah. when, when the grades and the parents got in the way, the t- and anything that was toxic that got in the way between them, it ruined their relationship. Right. Olga was too oblivious to notice, but Helga wasn't. Now, my brother is not oblivious and dumb like Olga is at no. all. He's a very sharp kid. Yeah. Or, a, I say kid. He, he's 35. But, like, I call every, 35 year old child. I call everyone kid. It's like sort of a thing. But, like, 127 but there are very similar master. parallels, which brings us to the oh, God, don't make me cry statement, Charles. <laughs> uh, what, which, what? The pride conversation. Oh, yes, the pride. That's what okay. segues so to this. Yesterday, we were, we were talking just about couple stuff and Lindsay admitted something to me about herself that I straight up didn't even know I'm surprised you didn't I thought it was fucking obvious well it, it wasn't obvious or at least it wasn't obvious to me I thought it was I mean it's just and that Lindsay Lindsay has an issue with pride with wanting to wanting people not wanting people to see her as vulnerability vul- she doesn't want people to see her as vulnerable and Helga is the exact same way. Helga has a lot of pride. Well, okay, first of all, Helga's mental health and, and emotional issues are way larger. I mean, this chick will straight up hallucinate in the street. She does not she care. She disassociates a lot. I a think, lot. I think she'll be okay when she gets older if she stays working with Dr. Bliss and working on her mental health, but yes. she could Which, easily By break. the way, in the Patakis, Dr. Bliss was going to be a character, and she was going to be a regular character. And I honestly love that character. She was such a good therapist. Dr. Bliss is great, but you know, um, Helga had, had pride issues, and she had issues with vulnerability. If you're a fan of the show, you will know that Helga would refuse to admit to Arnold way up right up until like Arnold literally had to find his dead parents first before <laughs> this chick admitted openly that she was in love with Arnold. I it's mean she's mood though it is. I she, totally she kind she kinda did it in the first Arnold movie, but then she refuted it. But in the second one when he concluded oh, the God. series, this motherfucker had to find his supposedly dead dead these people were missing for a decade before she and he found them woke them from a sleeping sickness a disease that only existed in a part of South America that doesn't exist 10 year coma and then and then she admitted her love to Arnold and I can relate to that level of that's Helga now here's the thing the reason I say that I'm not the one of the major differences of that is my anger does not reflect on the people I love I am not like I when I like somebody like when I love somebody or I'm not mean to them I'm very kind I'm very gentle and very sweet yeah however if a stranger challenges me or someone says just the wrong thing yeah I'm gonna flip a table and fucking cut somebody right. and I ha- like I- I've never actually been in an actual physical altercation aside from a few cat fights in my life right but the thing is I will verbally cut you before you can even fucking blink or I even get the sentence out because I feel I've been threatened in some way. Yesterday, Charles pointed out to me, he's like, 
I said, I don't, I said, I just don't want people to think I'm a pussy and I don't want people to think I'm soft. So I sometimes put up a tough front and it's, I'm super embarrassed to admit that. He goes, Lindsay, a lot of people think you're, think you're soft. And I said, who the fuck said that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> she flipped it. She started sharpening a knife. She was like, who are they? Tell me who it is. He looks over, I have my pocket knife out and I'm sharpening. And I'm like, who the fuck said that? Was it Roberto? Who said I'm so, <laughs> and it was like, like she got so mad that it was, it was like, she started sharpening a knife with another knife. Didn't really. <laughs> she already had like, the weapon. I'm like, who the fuck be talking all this? I get like, and I, and I start asking for names and he's like, Lindsay, it's not that deep. I go, no, no. Who the fuck said that? Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it was crazy. It was crazy, you know, but you know, but that, that's the thing with the way that Lindsay grew up. Or in not just in her family life, but in her life just around a lot of people, different my, my, relationships. The first 28 years of my life, and I'm 31, so I've only had like three years of fucking peace in my existence. I've had a lot of tumultuous and tempestuous relationships with people. I've had abusive partners, abusive mom, you know, stressful life events in general. So I always had like this outer shell and this need to be like protective. Yeah. And um, it's some I, I I like said like I said earlier it is sometimes hysterical like the who said that thing right like yeah it had those moments when it's funny like I'll be and I'm I'm more I'm even more protective over people I love like for example when I was a little girl my first day of kindergarten first mm-hmm. fucking day yeah first time on a school bus other than my preschool bus like you know the little mini preschool buses right right right. I'm coming home from school, and the way our school buses were set up was little kids had to sit in the front so the driver could see them easily so they wouldn't get, like, hurt or harmed by another kid in the back or something, you know. And as the story progresses, you'll see why. And the further back, the older you got, you could sit towards the middle, and then in the back, and, like, you were, like, high school, like, freshman on, you could sit in the back. It was just sort of a responsibility thing. Yeah. My brother would have been about eight or nine. He's four years older than me, and I would have been, like, four or five in kindergarten. So... I hear, like, yelling or something from the back. I only know this because this is the the verbatim story I was told. And this high school kid had my brother, who, when he was a kid, was a skinny little scrawny thing. I mean, he was just this cute little, like, freckle-faced skinny boy. He looked like Opie from um, Andy Griffith with black hair. Oh, that's funny. He just, like, this little freckle-faced gap-tooth Opie boy. He was super cute. And this kid had him by the side of the head, lifting him out of the seat of the bus. Yeah. Now... A normal little kid would be like, teacher, bus driver, my brother's in danger. No, fuck all that. I rely on nobody. I get the fuck up while the bus is in motion. I'm five. I am two foot nothing. And I have a Pebbles Flintstone ponytail in my hair. <laughs> I literally have that same haircut now. Like, I, And my mom dressed me real cute. She had me in like little like Mary Jane shoes and yeah. leggings. and like she, I, d- I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. I must have been smoking some crack or something. I don't know. You know, little kids aren't afraid of anything. And I'm already ballsy as an adult. So imagine how like little fuck I had at five. Yeah. I, I wasn't afraid to die. So I walk into the back of the bus and my brother's screaming and he's in there. And I go, I put my hand on my hips as an act of defiance. And I still do this. Yeah. Like Supergirl, just slam my hand on my hips and I stick my little chest out and I go, put him down, stupid. Don't you know you could hurt him? That's my big brother. That's adorable. And my brother begged my mom to never let me ride the bus again. 
He that, said, if that's, you, wow. He's like, you are going, she is going to get me killed. Please do not let her talk to people again. <laughs> like, and that was the beginning of that kind of relationship with my brother that we were always defending each other, but beating each other's asses till we almost died. Right. But, but you know, again, to, to the initial point, Lindsay has always felt like, or for many years has felt like she doesn't, she doesn't like the idea of people seeing her vulnerable. Like she doesn't like to cry in front of people. Well, it's not that I don't like, let me explain, because the reason I'm talking about this is because I want to be better at that. Yeah, she, she wants to address it. Well, vulnerability is strength, and I mean, necessarily pride in, in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing if you use it in the right tool. Well, well let, real, real quick, uh, having pride. And being proud, there's a difference. And being proud are two different things. And, yeah. Being proud is when you do something or experience something where you feel pride in the thing accomplished happy you 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 feel you feel like the thing that just happened to you was a privilege to experience that's what being proud is but pride is a spectrum proud is when you're in balance out of balance pride is when you're you're to a point that confidence i have from the pride can help me in life where i can put it to better use is what i'm saying right now on the spectrum of pride when you get to a point where pride is an ego response and you feel like you have to basically defend yourself or you you respond to situations through through conflict where conflict didn't exist because you you know you feel threatened you got alarmed that is when the sensation of being proud something that everybody experiences um goes to an extreme where you've dipped into the extreme spectrum of being proud and because my mom was like that i was raised that way and it also could be just a genetic trait that i have to learn how to balance the thing is Unlike my mother, I'm aware of it. I want to fix it. I don't necessarily like it, but I'm trying to make it a better thing. It's a difficult thing. Part of the reason I'm talking about it here so publicly is I'm putting myself in a vulnerable place. The crying thing, as he explained, it's not that I don't want to cry in front of people. I'm physically incapable. Okay. Unless I'm acting. I can do it when I'm not me. When I check out of Lindsay and I'm in a totally different character space... And I have to start crying with technique. Like, I, my crying technique as an actor is I breathe a certain way that triggers yeah. the tears. It's yeah. not coming from an emotional place. Right. If I'm around anybody, even if Charles is asleep in the room, I can't really cry. And if I cry at all, even by myself, it's like... It's scheduled. It, no, it, <laughs> not even just that. Oh, but yeah. it's like... <laughs> okay, I'm done. Yo. Like you'll like it's so terrifying. I feel like a robot. I'm like crying sequence commits. <laughs> Done. <laughs> it is so pathetic. Like I mean, I just I, it's hilarious at the same time to me because like I am literally such a you know there was an episode of Grace and Frankie where Brianna did that. She was like, I want I have to schedule. She, he thought she had porn videos, but she actually had videos that triggered her to cry because she thought she was gonna be by herself. Right. That's me. I don't watch porn when I'm by myself. I watch shit that makes me cry. Like, I put on Moulin Rouge and just have a real ugly cry for five minutes. Yeah. Which, you know, there's some interesting parallels between your mom, Grace and Frankie, the um, Grace, and Big Bob. There's this trend of businessy parents. And Brianna's... Um, like I'm not cold like Brianna per se, but I have a yeah. coldness sometimes. Like but, I can put up a cold front if I want. But there's this trend of ambitious parents that are pursuing a business. When they have kids, they raise their children to be as tough as the world is to them when they're raising their business. And that's absolutely something or, or, I'm, or I'm terrified pursuing. of to become a parent. That's why I'm addressing this now because I feel like I want to have a kid in the next few years and I want to also have a successful career and I'm deeply ambitious and career has always come first to me. I don't want to do to my kid or technically our kid Mm -hmm. what my mom did to me. Like on one hand, there needs to be a balance because you do need to make your kids tough. And I mean, I am, I am kind of grateful that I'm kind of like 
tougher in situations, but right. sometimes I'm not because especially in this day and age, because it it, it 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 like pride itself, it could be a positive thing. Like I'm really strong, but also at the same time, I'm kind of a bitch and don't realize it sometimes. <laughs> it's just true because I'll be like, why is that person crying over that? That's weird. And I, I try not to judge the person, but it just confuses my system. And it's not like I don't have empathy or anything. It's yeah. just like sometimes I don't understand because it takes a really big thing to upset me. I'll admit um, I have moments like that, too. I it just, can be confusing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a bit more balanced. Like when I you've been through more training for yourself. You're teaching me how to help. Right. Myself. Right. When when I see when I see like things on television that would make the average person cry and I don't cry I don't judge myself anymore but I also do not judge the other person for crying I just recognize the fact that I had a very complicated life it has left me with very complicated emotions and I'm not on the same emotional spectrum or range as the average person so I don't see the other like other people I don't see them as weird I just see them as different and there's nothing wrong with being different right and I try not to be judgy about it but that's the weird thing it's not that I don't want to cry like I'll see some shit like that'll make me cry on TV it's just I don't cry for very long or my body will not physically let me like I'll want to cry I'll be like oh my god look at that mom and that daughter and that ad and I'll like get all weepy but no tears will come and it's like I'm not gonna lie that's really fucking annoying because what ends up happening is because I'm so backed up at crying I'll be like just in the shower having a perfectly normal day and like an ad will be like it's Mother's Day and I'm like ah, ah, ah. and I'm always grateful I cry in the shower because like you can't see it which is very dark <laughs> but that's a pride thing like the my, only the, thing darker than that is what Charlie Chaplin said he, he said uh, the reason I love the man in the mirror is because when I cry he cries with me he doesn't laugh I feel that man that's deep but that's a vulnerable and that's the thing it's like that's the pride thing it's like I started crying yesterday when I confessed to Charlie I had a pride problem and I started crying and I'm like oh my god this is super embarrassing right and for me I mean I wasn't perplexed by the fact that she felt it was embarrassing because I've run into like uh, people with similar issues like that before so I knew I knew how to react um but at the same time I didn't believe it was embarrassing because being someone who you know I'm, I mean I don't come off as the most sensitive person in the world but if I'm in a place where I feel like I need to cry I don't care who's around I'll just do it because I understand that someone who's ca who's capable and able to be vulnerable in front of people they're they actually have some of the most strength because it's the equivalent of if you were fighting a war and you were fighting an enemy that knew every single weakness and you won anyway because at that point, you're not just fighting with the enemy. You're fighting with yourself and the enemy, and you're succeeding over both. Well, and that's what I'm learning. The thing is, what's interesting about my pride is I don't care to do silly stuff. Like, I would put on a snorkel and run through a drive through screaming, I love cream cheese. I don't give a fuck. Like, because I like making people <laughs> laugh. I don't have shame in, like, you know, doing silly stuff for entertainment value. I have shame if people don't think I'm tough and I feel like I need to flip a table to establish my dominance. That's a problem. But, that, <laughs> but, but And that's the crazy thing. No matter what, people feel, are going to see you. I act like you. a person who's been to prison in that regard. Yeah, like, yeah. But I actually kind of lived like I was in prison with my mom. My mom was very strict. I was treated very badly. So it kind of came out like she, she raised me like a prison warden. So it's no wonder I'm afraid to show weakness. At the end of the day, people are going to see you however they see you. You know, you can you can be whatever it is you want to be. Or just the you can have the truth you have. But people's perception, for whatever reason, will either completely misunderstand it or capture it perfectly. Well, and what's hysterical is it's not even so much about what people think of me. I just don't want people to fuck with me. See, it's not that people think I'm a pussy. It's the fact that I'm afraid someone's going to think I'm a pussy and then try to fight me. 
Yeah, you're trying to protect yourself from potential threats. It's not. It's. It's. It it's, has a lot less to so do with perception. Of, like I think I'm better than people or anything. It's just. Or, it has a lot less to do with perception and more, more to do with fear. With with, pe- with being afraid that people are going to try to harm you. Right. That's been most of where mo- where my issues come from. To- is just being afraid of not being safe. To- totally justifiable. But you know, and and I and I, you have all my sympathy and respect. Of course. That being said. I feel like the people in this world who are the strongest are the ones who who learn to be vulnerable and and protect and live within their weaknesses and are not threatened by their weaknesses being touched. Well, and that's the thing, and that's why I'm speaking about this today, because whatever your issues are, like my issue with pride, I had to learn that these issues that I have, because when I was younger, I had even more pride, and I, the idea of having anything wrong with me upset me. But now it doesn't. And, like, honestly, this isn't a world-ending or life-ending problem. I'm very fortunate that this is probably my biggest problem because when I loop back, that most of my issues loop back to pride and security. If I can get all of that in line, I'd be a pretty stable person, and I'm very fortunate that's, like, my biggest issue. Yeah. The thing with... And I'm I'm not going to be able to get rid of it. Like, let's be completely honest. No one's able to completely get rid of your issues, but I'm going to use what I have told Charles is I'm going to do better to use it as a tool for myself. I've already improved on it significantly, but I have so much more growth to do. So really quick, I just want to address that because that's just just highlight that that that's a very good point, because often in life, anytime someone points out issues that we have, the first thing that we go to is getting rid of the issue and ego and being afraid of having that problem. Speaking as somebody that went to five years straight of therapy once a week every week and didn't miss a session and if I did have to cancel I would make it up sometimes the point you shouldn't try to get rid of an issue because it's a part of your character trait and again every character trait is a spectrum sometimes it's not about getting rid of something it's about managing where you are in the spectrum and you can take something that could have potentially been bad in most situations and turn it into something good in other situations once you learn to moderate your own personal behavior for example if you have other than pride like say for example you have clinical depression yeah and you're which i have charles and i both have that um, his is far more debilitating than mine is. I'll I'll just like listen to Evanescence for two days and cry and then be good. And he he gets way more debilitated. But yeah. if you're like us and you have clinical depression, or like a lot of Americans and people in the world have, you need to find a way that works for you. Say for example, if you're the kind of person who is pursuing a creative endeavor and you have depression, and it's some days for like weeks at a time you can't get out of bed but some days at weeks at a time you're just go 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 as depression sometimes does to your fucking brain that's certainly how it works with me when you are in your go state when you are good and you are up do as much fucking work as you can get weeks of work done in a short amount of time so when you are down and debilitated you don't have to fucking stress and make your depression worse yeah because sometimes again sometimes negative things in your life are a part of you and they become more negative when you fight against them. But sometimes you have to embrace them and work with them. Like in the case of me, it's like what Lindsay said. I like to do bulk work. I like yeah. to do lots of work in short periods of time because there are days that'll happen where I literally just can't get out of bed. I, my body cannot physically move because of how debilitating my depression can be. The problem is that, that depression doesn't have a schedule. I don't know what days that'll happen. 
And in the past, I would get even more depressed because I would know all the things that I didn't accomplish when I wasn't in a bad state. What has exponentially helped is when I'm not in a bad state, I do a lot of work, at least like, let's say two, two, let's say I got three days, two of those days I'm working and one day I'm depressed. One of those one of those days I'm good. I will put in a lot of work. Yeah. I might take a break on a day on a day that I'm also good. But on a on a depression day, if I'm too depressed to move, what I'll do is I'll spend time thinking about that day that I've spent very productively. And maybe the other day where I wasn't productive, but I had fun on my terms as opposed to on the terms of my depression. And because I have uh, childhood and adult trauma from abusive relationships, something that helps me is I talk to people with similar issues or with their own issues, and it sort of gives me my own perspective on my problems. And I, you know, I help them with like their own spiritual and psychological and emotional work. And while I'm simultaneously simultaneously helping people, I'm helping myself. So you have yep. to just find a way. Yep. Wrapping up, uh, find a way to make whatever your good and bad qualities are work for you. Don't be afraid to face or embrace them. Let, you know, set your pride aside like I'm trying to do and just do the best you can. That Ultimately, that's my final statement. Do the best you can. That's your final remark? Yep. Do the okay, best you my, can. My final remark is um, on behalf of Nickelodeon, I apologize to Craig Bartlett as is... Um, you know, Viacom in general, because I think Nickelodeon and MTV are both under Viacom. Yeah. I apologize on their behalf for foolishly refusing a show like the Patakis to exist. I mean, we live in an, in an age of remakes and revamps yep. and and revitalizations of media. There's a very good chance mm-hmm. that a that a streaming network could pick up the the Pataki script and turn it into a series. I would love if it got on Adult Swim. And, and be right up there with Rick or and Morty. Or even on Netflix or Hulu as an original. Any, anyone, just get it done. Um, you know, because Craig Bartlett, he, he was a genius at the show Hey Arnold. I'm sure the Pataki's, it was a, a script that he already wrote. The, the pilot's already been written. I, I, I hope he takes another stab at it because... Like, I'd watch the fuck out of that. I, I definitely would too. And like Hey Arnold, there's a lot of lessons that Helga Pataki could teach us. There's a whole lot of stuff out there that we can learn. One of those is learning how to be more vulnerable others and, and there's many more past that i'll actually be watching more hey arnold as i work on my pride issues to be learning from her yeah yeah that little girl can teach me a lot that little girl can teach everybody boys girls any gender that you are human any human being if you're a human no with matter, a problem you can learn from hell yeah period and that's period. everybody period so have a wonderful day night whatever you guys are doing and we love you thanks for listening bye guys